part of the issue is that people don't understand disability because disability was never something that was meant to be understood. It was something to be hidden. You know, in in many cultures right now, it's still taboo. People want to know, what did your parents do for you to be born this way? In my case, for other people, oh, God is punishing you. Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of The Greatest Stories Never Told. I realized I always say welcome back, but for a lot of people, they're not coming back. This is their first time here, and I would imagine we have a lot of first-time listeners because of the guests that we have on this episode. So not just welcome back, welcome to The Greatest Stories Never Told. I'm your host, Danny Jordan. Thrilled, as always, to be chatting with you. Thrilled, as always, to share the conversation that I was so privileged to have with an amazing individual. And that amazing individual in this episode is Stephanie Thomas. But before I introduce Stephanie, if this is your first time here with The Greatest Stories Never Told, welcome. Please smash that subscribe button, as the cool kids say, or just tap it if you're uncool like me. That works too. And if you love what you are hearing here on this show, please make sure to rate and review. And if you want to connect with the show and me further, you can do so on social media. We are at Never Told Pod on all of the social platforms. I am at Danny Jordan on Instagram. Anyway, let's get to our guest for today. Our guest on this episode is someone who has become a dear friend, a colleague of mine, an advisor of mine, and that is Stephanie Thomas. Stephanie Thomas is many, many things. She is the founder of Curatable Disability Fashion Consultancy and is the creator of the award-winning disability fashion styling system, Accessible, Smart, Fashionable. She is also the author and editor of Fitting In, an anthology of the social implications of fashion and ableism. Stephanie is also an executive diversity equity and inclusion council member for one of the largest global media conglomerates. And in addition to almost three decades of following clothing and retail trends for the disabled community, Stephanie is an award-winning sag after voice actor who serves on the union's Persons with Disabilities Committee. And fun fact, she is the voice of the character Lex in my award-winning children's book series, The Capables. In short, Stephanie is a force. As you will hear in our conversation, Stephanie and I met a couple years ago thanks to the app that was like really, really big for a while and I think is pretty much, I don't think it's non-existent now, but I don't know if anyone goes on it. And that app is Clubhouse. I'm grateful for that app because I connected with individuals like Stephanie and so many other dynamic individuals who I'm still good friends and colleagues with to this day. So thank you, Clubhouse, because this conversation today would not be happening without you. And speaking of, let's get to that conversation with my friend, Stephanie Thomas. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Greatest Stories Never Told. I am so thrilled to welcome this guest onto the show today. We have become fast friends. We met about a year ago through Clubhouse, actually. She is just a force. I love her energy. I love her style. Um, Tell you a little bit more about this individual. Stephanie Thomas uh, is an American disability fashion stylist. She's a creative director, public speaker, voice actor, author, Professor, there it, it seems like there's nothing that Stephanie hasn't done, and we're going to talk all about that today. And hopefully, if we achieve our mission here on The Greatest Stories Never Told, Stephanie will share with us a story that she has never shared with anyone before. So here we go. Let's embark on that journey, and welcome to the show, Stephanie Thomas. Stephanie, how are you? Hi, Danny. I'm well. How are you? Thanks for having me. Oh, anytime. I mean, anytime you and I get a chance to have a conversation, I am 
all about it. You and I connected through Clubhouse, I want to say. I think it was through mm-hmm. you know Brandon Farbstein or Tiffany Yu, um, who I would just go sit in their rooms on Clubhouse and just listen to them talk. And I know I would hear you speaking in there as well. And and we were trying to develop a TV show together you know, about a year ago, and they introduced me to you. And, and I feel like you and I are very simpatico, like our energies just mesh very well yeah, together. I agree. I agree. I just wish I had as much style as, as you have. I wish our, our <laughs> listeners could see you right now. Like you've got these really cool glasses that I feel like my mom <laughs> maybe wore in the 1970s. In the 1970s yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I was for. I'm glad you, I'm glad you, my, my uh, optometrist, he always looks and goes, should they be smaller for your face? And I was like, no, I wasn't like this. <laughs> the bigger, the better. No, I, I love it. I mean, I mean, clearly I'm a fashion stylist as well. I don't know if you, uh, you know, pick that up from me, yes. but so, so what was it, you know, you've, your, your history, you know, you've shared with me in our conversations when we've been together for lunches and whatnot, that you've been doing advocacy work, you know, for over 30 years now, you know, what was it, you know, in the beginning that, that got you into wanting to be an advocate, um, for the disability community? It was a pageant. I, I had just stopped cheering for the Chicago Bulls. So this is kind of how my adult life went. I graduated from high school in 1987 and then, my mom told me about an audition for the Chicago Lovables. And since I had been a cheerleader in high school, I was like, oh, cheerleading, you know? And then it said, if you have another talent, great. I was like, oh, okay, I sing. So I had no idea about Michael Jordan. I didn't know anything about the Bulls because I was into the Hillcrest Hawks because that was my <laughs> high school and I was a cheerleader captain. And um, that I wind up cheering for the Bulls for two years Right when I left, I had a vocal scholarship to Kentucky State University. So one day I was at a golf tournament with Michael Jordan. And then the next day I was on campus in band camp to be one of the dance girls for the Historically Black College's dance team, Okay, uh, which I couldn't do long because my legs would swell from dancing on the cement. But that's that's the journey to me, even starting advocacy, because had I never taken that scholarship and gone to Kentucky State, I would have never won the Miss Kentucky um, third runner up to Miss Kentucky. And so as a pageant participant, which someone encouraged me to do for scholarship money, I was just like, okay, I'll do it. You have to have what's known as a project, like a community service project. And I had a coach who had a husband who was a wheelchair user. And she said, because you were born with disabilities, have you ever thought about clothing for people with disabilities? And she shared some of her stories with me, but she would just get so frustrated with me because I would never button my cuffs. And Mm. she was like, just button your cuff. And then I looked at my hand and then I also realized like, oh, shoot, I don't button this left cuff because I don't have a right thumb. Mm. And so that's kind of my long journey. It was kind of this... You know, I never would have thought I would have never done a pageant for years. I didn't even want people to know that's how I started my journey. Hmm. No offense against people that love pageants, but it was kind of like, uh, that's so whack <laughs> because, you know, it kind of gets yeah. into the beauty standard thing. And it's, it's so, it's the opposite of me. And so I was just like, well, I'm glad I did it though. It changed my whole life. So I was going to ask, was there a source of, of empowerment there for you being an individual who identifies as one living with a disability to be in a quote unquote 
beauty contest and to show people that beauty comes in all different forms and, and, and definitions? No, because I think still at that time, people weren't having these discussions. Mm. This wasn't a discussion that people were having. So, you know, people didn't even refer to me as a person with a disability. You know, sometimes today people say, oh, you're just missing, you know, toes or a thumb. Um, fun fact, this actually will be a story I never shared because I just went to the podiatrist yesterday. So, Oh, my gosh. Right out of the gates. Here we go. Right out of the gate. So. <laughs> Um, for your audience, I am a congenital amputee missing digits on my right hand and feet, but I went to this, uh, podiatrist, you know, a new podiatrist. And he, the first thing he said was, you know, I was telling him I was having some pain in my feet and he said, well, that's because one leg is shorter than the other. And he started giving me, he said, one leg is shorter than the other. Your, your feet are your, there's a tendon that must be damage because your feet are dangling onto your legs. Hmm. Imagine getting that. <laughs> he was like, cause I shouldn't be able to dangle your feet without your legs moving. Wait, was this news to you? Had no doctor ever told you this before? Ever. Wow. Normally when a podiatrist sees me, they'll just say, is that how you were born? Okay. Like no one has ever asked me any questions. And this, this podiatrist asked me questions. And then he said, um, he said, actually, we, he was just saying, telling me everything I already knew, but he didn't know me. So it was mm. so refreshing for him to say, um, are you experiencing more pain on your left foot? He said, yeah, because you have, your left leg is shorter than the right. And he was like, uh, you're, you're putting too much pressure because I had recently hurt my knee. I was like, why is my back hurting? He was like, you, it probably needs surgery, but let's do an MRI and a you know, it's not urgent. He looked at my gait and walking and I'm, I didn't get off track. I know it sounds like I am, but I think for me, we weren't having those conversations in the past. Mm. And so even, you know, right now having to talk about what I just learned yesterday and I was born in 1969 and no one has ever had this conversation with me. You wow. know, whenever I would talk to a podiatrist about pain, they would give me these very hard insoles, which was were worse. And that's the first thing the podiatrist said was, I bet people have given you hard insoles. I was like, yes. He was like, hmm. no, you need memory foam. And he was like, get these, you know, like it was just so refreshing to have the conversations that we were not having back when I was doing the pageant. So I don't think anyone was thinking show all kinds of beauty. I think it was just a thing where they were like, you can sing, you're great at interviews. Why don't you go win some, you know, money? Right. I have so many questions about, you know, the process of all the doctors that you've been to over the years and it taking this long just to even find out this bit of information that you would imagine some doctor would have thought to ask 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. And we can dig into that in a little bit. But what I am curious about is something you said uh, when you were a cheerleader for the Bulls during the time when Michael Jordan was there. You know, I've never had a conversation with someone who was associated with the Chicago Bulls at a time well, where Michael Jordan was the most famous yeah. person in the world. You know, and arguably he's still <laughs> one of the most famous people yeah. ever, which is so funny because, you know, I always joke that um i get frustrated i got frustrated when i was a kid because my last name's jordan right and oh, yeah. and whenever i thought that was so cool but for some reason so many times when i would get 
baseball trophies, they would spell my last name J-O-R-D-O-N. And I never understood that. I was like, I have one of the most famous last names in the world right now, and I'm playing a sport. Like, you would just assume that people would know how to spell uh, Jordan. Uh, they're being literal. They're being literal with the spelling. Uh, apparently, I don't I don't know. Uh, I don't know what that is. Yeah. And what's really funny is my mom uh, ended up getting remarried, and my stepdad's name is Michael. So when I was a kid, you know, <laughs> obviously, when, like, the— the, the sheets would go out to everyone on your team and it'd be like, Danny Jordan, mom, Marilyn, dad, Michael. They would like crank call my house and be like, hey, is Michael Jordan there? And I'm like, oh my gosh. Anyway, kids are ridiculous. But what, I mean, what was the energy like in Chicago in that arena? Not just Michael, but Scotty and, you know, just, it, was, Grant, it was the Mecca. Yeah. It was the it's Mecca been. of basketball at that point Jackson. in time. Um, yeah. So I grew up with, my brother and two uncles and they were my two uncles. You know how, if your grandmother marries and, and then your grandfather has sons, it's like, it's, so that's how it was. Yeah. So I did everything from watch Bruce Lee movies to take karate. I kind of hung out with the guys because they would always be the ones doing the fun things outside. And so I loved playing horse in 21. So I am a basketball fan. I have my <laughs> own basketball. I like to shoot hoops. I try not to do it so much by myself now because that's not always very safe. Mm. But um, I just wanted to set the stage. And back in the day when I did it, um, I was a captain my second year. So we would do appearances with the players. My nickname was Baby Girl because I was one of two of the youngest cheerleaders that they had had at that time. Okay. And so, and I was really, you know, I, I was pretty much like I am now. I don't drink. I don't, you know, I'm not like trying to sleep with the players or anything. So I was like baby sister kind of thing. Mm. And it was just the most incredible thing. I remember one party I was at. I guess this is also a story I've never told. Yes. One party I was at and Michael Jordan was there and you know anyone that everyone was trying to hit on him but I never would I don't even I never even asked him for an autograph until my mm. last day as a cheerleader and it wasn't for me it was for my friend that was freaking out and I was just like oh my god <laughs> and I and I literally went to him and was like will you please give her an autograph you know I don't ask for <laughs> any of this and he started laughing and he said I'll do it for you but like oh. he was really protective you know like if someone came at me wrong and, you know, I was friends with the other cheerleaders. Oh, this is also another story. Good question, Danny. Oh, my because gosh. We the, are crushing it right now. I'm going to get to the basketball. But these are things that made that were a part of my experience, you know, like because okay. the cheerleaders and basketball players would have parties and then the cheerleaders would go to the parties. But, you know, I guess they weren't uh, G rated parties. And he was mm. like, what? what are you doing in this car? And I was like, We're just, I'm, and I'm so green and I'm right. so naive. And he was like, mm -mm, you gotta go, wow. you gotta go. And so that was kind of my, my experience off the court on the court, even though I was a captain, I've shared this before, but it's true. I would get so into the dance. Sometimes I would have difficulty marking my space. So sometimes I would get benched from a dance. What? Before they can do that? The, yeah, they would just be like, sit it out. I mean, I knew the steps. But sometimes on the floor, my I would get kind of turned around with where I was going. Right. It didn't happen often. But when it did happen, it's just like cheering in high school. The players would notice. 
And so now let's talk about basketball. Hold on, so wait a second. How, to, how, how are they going to bench a captain? Um, li- li- easy, especially since we sat under the under the baskets. I right. would just when we went to change, I would either stay in the 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 dressing room or yeah. I'd come back out. But it didn't happen a lot. But it did happen, and it it was funny when it happened to me because I think it made my experience richer. But you would think they would want like the most fierce dancers out there possible, yeah, but right? If, if I couldn't keep my spacing right, I would <laughs> screw up the whole thing. Fair and sometimes enough. Okay. Players would laugh. But Phil Jackson was there. He was super friendly. They were, I mean, because when you're dancing, you're dancing right in front of them. And so they they were playful. It was just a great experience, I guess, because too, I never asked for autographs. I wasn't jocking them. I wasn't trying to date them. I was like, I got yeah. a boyfriend. All my friends were like, you crazy. Your boyfriend is broke and about to graduate <laughs> from high school. Like, you better go get me one of them men's <laughs> money. But yeah, very glad I didn't do that. But um, So I have to yeah. ask you, I, I'm so intrigued by this because, you know, I, I've heard a lot over the years about, you know, a lot of cheerleaders, whether they be NBA, NFL, that this is more like sort of a side job for these people. Cause oh, I don't absolutely. know if it was the same for you. Like it's sort of a per game rate that the cheerleaders get paid. Was it the yeah, same? So uh, we signed a contract and interestingly enough, another, well, so I have told some people, but I don't think I've ever said this on air, like in a podcast yeah. we had in our contract, we had to wear red nail polish and red nails. We had to agree not to go outside without being made up. I still have the contract. Wow. Um, it was, and it's $25 a game where we made our money, which was great with being a captain from appearances. But mm. for your audience, we haven't really set the stage for people. Well, they, no one can see us, but I'm a, a dark brown woman. Uh, and in the black community, especially at that time, that was not considered a symbol of beauty for a lot of people, right? Mm. So some of my jobs would get passed on to a lighter skinned black woman. But I was 18 and it was an accidental audition that I wound up making. I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't even have the things I needed for the audition. I had on cutoffs and sneakers with no with no ties in them. Like it, oh, wow. it wasn't so I wasn't losing at all. But yeah, it was that twenty five dollars. But we get to come to the games. We get to do and then you make your money from appearances. We had posters. Okay. So somewhere I'm on a poster. Do you have a copy uh, of it? One, I I should have a copy of the poster. It's in one of my um, my old books. But you know what I did, which I shouldn't have done? I gave hmm. away all of the paraphernalia when I went to college. Because one, really? one day I was on a poster doing this work. And then the next day I was at college. And so, so some of the guys that I met, they were like, oh, shit, you, you were on a poster. You know, like people recognize your face. And right. it was... But here's the here's the best part of my job. Chicago has the best crowd, hands down. I don't care. I don't care what your team is. I don't care about <laughs> I know I'm in LA, but Chicago has the best drunk crowd in the world. Now, soccer fans or football fans may may be the only competition we have. Right. But they was so hyped. And this was not Michael Jordan winning all of the rings, Michael Jordan. This was Michael Jordan when he was still a phenom. But this was when we were getting beat up on by Detroit, when yeah. we were, you know what I mean? Like when we were. That was before, because they brought in Rodman, right, to sort of 
give them right. a little bit more legitimacy because Detroit was so that that old Detroit they Pistons team. Up. Yeah, they were they it, were rough. Yeah, they were rough, but it was so much fun. And um, the cheerleaders go to the fitting room. I mean, to the dressing room now. They don't, they didn't, I was at a Bulls game two years ago and I was like, they don't get to watch the game. We sat under the basket. So I was sitting on the side of the basket with Jordan dunking with, I mean, oh my any team you could think of. I danced the all-star game with Michael Jackson. They're like, it was just, oh my I had gosh. some of the best time, you know, doing that. And I don't often talk about it. But I now notice it's difficult for me not to go to a basketball game unless I'm on the front row. Because <laughs> I'm like, what is this? What am I doing right now? Yeah, you got, got a little <laughs> can't spoiled. Go sitting under the basket, you know, to uh, I'm watching some of the greatest players of all time just effortlessly. And I did sing the national anthem. Did you? I actually when did. When you were a cheerleader? When I was a cheerleader. Wow. So yep, you're like legit, like game. triple, quadruple threat, Stephanie Thomas. <laughs> uh, if I practice singing, yes. Okay. Well, I mean, you, because you went to school, if I, am I remembering this correctly, you went to school for voice, right? Wasn't that what's Yeah, I had got? a vocal scholarship. Yeah. So you were a cheerleader for the Bulls, but then you got into college on a, on a vocal scholarship. But like you said, the Bulls thing was sort of like, an accident and you didn't even go like dressed professionally for the audition. It feels well, like I mean, just it, this it, talent is innate for you. Yeah. And here's the interesting thing about that is I had two auditions that day and I always would drag one of my aunts or my grandmother or someone to take me to the audition. So I had a witness. I'm not making this up. I went to the audition. It's a dance audition cheerleaders, right? So I'm not thinking I need makeup and heels. I'm 18. And so I go in there <laughs> Guess what number I was out of hundreds of other people? And this is not, I'm not making this up at all. Number one. Out of all of the other people that were auditioning, I was number 23. Oh, wow. And I had no clue that that was Michael Jordan's number because oh I didn't know gosh. Michael Jordan. He didn't play for the Hawks. So I didn't know who he was. <laughs> I only knew Rodney Chilton, you know, like the people that played for my high school. Right. But all of the people probably thought I knew. So every time they would ask me a question, it'd say number 23. And I was like, why are they acting like that? <laughs> yeah. That's I, I one of the things I thought was so cool regarding Michael Jordan was when they had the dream team uh, back oh, yeah. in what was it? 1992 Olympics in Barcelona. Um, mm -hmm. Jordan, my, my number for baseball all growing up was number nine and Michael Jordan was number nine, uh, on that team. Yeah. So I have okay. my, my wife got me for Christmas a few years ago, like a, a remake of Michael's Jersey from, from the 92 Olympics. Cause it has nine and oh, Jordan on cool. the back. And I'm like, okay, that's legit. Like I'll wear that around and, yeah. and feel really, really cool about that's it. That's a great gift. Right. That's, that's a, a solid gift. gift. I, I got to yeah. give it up to my wife. She's really an incredible uh, person, incredible gift giver. Um, yes. So obviously, I'm, I'm sure when you came on here to talk with me today, you weren't thinking we'd do a deep dive into your time with the uh, Chicago Bulls, but um, but no, I'm enjoying I this mind. thoroughly. I, I am too, because I think the thing I like about it is um, most people don't know that I, my nickname was Artsy Fartsy. I gave it to myself because <laughs> that's what we used to say back in the day, like, oh, yeah. Artsy Fartsy, because I, I never wanted to live in L.A., I thought it could not compare to New York. I wanted to be on Broadway. You mm. know, my second audition, the day that I made it, 
you know, to the second round for the Bulls was an acting audition. Oh, really? I auditioned for everything. I even auditioned for a school of the arts. And I know I've never told anyone this. <laughs> it's so hilarious. Share it I with sang, us. <laughs> I sang The Sun Has Come the, um, Tomorrow from Annie. Yes. And I went on this audition. I told her I used to drag my aunts and stuff because my mother would work. You know, she had to work during the day. She worked for the Veterans Administration. Shout out to 36 years, Miss May um, at the VA. She retired years ago, but that's great. And I would, I went to audition and I got the audition. They accepted me. They were like, okay, vocal music for sure. I'm saying bye to everyone at my high school. They're like, oh man, you're leaving. Oh, you're going to do great. You yeah. can, with your beautiful voice. And my mother was like, how much does that school cost? And I was like, <laughs> uh, I don't know. And she right. was like, I can't afford to send you to that school. And so the next <laughs> year I come back, they're like, what's happened? What happened? I was like, I couldn't go. <laughs> My mother was like, it's a no go. So, but that was hilarious. I was saying bye. And you know, you know, your yearbook every year, people write, we're going to miss you so yeah, much. Keep and in touch. Keep all in that. Touch. I always got, I swear, like in mine, it was always like, stay sweet, keep in touch, you know? Like, I would get yeah. those, and I'd be like, oh, this girl totally likes me. Likes um, me, yeah, yeah, yeah. She Only if they put the phone number in there did they like you. That, that's what I learned as I got as I got older. It was like, because they would all write, like, stay sweet, or then it became, like, K-I-T. They would just, like, abbreviate. In touch, and yeah. They, unless you got the digits, they were just writing that in everybody's yearbook. Um, that's but hilarious. A, yeah, I, I love throwbacks. I love thinking about, like, our high school years and childhood and like things that used to be like big deals to I us back then. That, yeah, me too. I was such a nerd. I, I wouldn't change it though. No, not at all. I remember one year I like somehow got into the cool like group at school. Like, cause you know how, I don't know if it was like this at your school in high school, but at mine, like everyone had lunch at the same time. So they'd be like the main quad and you'd have like all these different pockets of people yeah. eating lunch around the quad and there was like the cool kids, you know, like they had their yeah. spot under this tree. And somehow I infiltrated that group. Um, but that's like, very Hollywood for me because we didn't have outdoor, you know, in Chicago. That was right. a no go. So uh, but that sounds very cool. It was cool. And I, I don't know how I infiltrated. I think I just like made friends with somebody in one of my classes and I just like followed them to lunch one day and just started standing there. And I think eventually they just saw my <laughs> face and nothing like I guess this is our friend. Yeah. Um, but like, I always felt so uncomfortable with those people because it wasn't me. And I felt like I had to dress a specific way and whatever. Anyway, that's not what this podcast is about. It's not about Danny no, unpacking okay. his. Is that a story you've never shared? Uh, you know, I think that is a story I've never shared. Check for you. Probably, look, check for me. See, this is the fun about this show is that it, it may not be just our guests sharing stories uh, that they've never told before, but it might be me as well. Um, I would like to dig in a, a bit deeper. Uh, you you started a company called Curatable. Can you tell our listeners a bit more about, you know, what was the impetus for Curatable and, and what you and your company do? Okay. I always have to giggle when I start talking about this because- okay. <laughs> I did not want to start a business. I okay. was doing the work. My goal was to do the work and still do voiceovers. I was at working in radio as a morning jock of my own show. I did not want, I was a morning drive radio host. I did not want to, to start a business. 
But in 2006, when I went to shop for, what did I go to the store for in 2000? Oh, my cat for cat food. And my cat, you know, I, I see this, this gorgeous trench coat. It's fully functional and it's for dogs. And yet I wasn't new, but it just kind of pissed me off. I just got to yeah. keep it real. Yeah, here I am talking for years, other people talking for years, just getting, can we just get one piece of clothing in the store that's designed for someone that sits, which is a real issue, like a real health safety thing. And here's this functional, functional pockets, dogs don't care about pockets, all this stuff. And it just, that's when my mom said she actually recently found a note where I told her in 2006, it's time for me to start a business. Hmm. I did not actually file a business. I think I filed something in 2012, but it was still begrudgingly. It was like someone was pulling me along. It wasn't until 2018 that I said, I really need to do something. And I know that seems very soon, especially since I've been involved in it since 1992. Okay. But what Curatable is, is not the way it started. The way it started was me being agile and me just providing services and whatever services needed to be provided from styling to consulting to, you know, um, styling with brands. And now I've just really started to mature as a founder and I've decided I'm going to work in my strengths. And one of mm. the things that I'm really good at noticing is where there is uh, white space and white space. There's a real gap for AI and disability. So we're developing a product that will help companies that want to provide, you know, data-based AI styling for people with disabilities. Um, and then the other thing that we do is I style people, but I, I try to keep it to people that have disabilities in LA that are in entertainment because that's a very tough grind. And people may think it sounds like I'm trying to be important, but two goals, the, the why behind Curatable eradicate negative perceptions of disability. Mm. I want to make it so that when people perceive disability in the global North, we can start to make sure that communities that are often overlooked throughout the world, where people are still using their knuckles to get around because the terrain is not welcoming for wheelchairs. I want my work to change how we see disability, how mm. we interact with disability. And so that's, you know, what motivates Curatable. So it's styling, and this new product that we're creating. And then the element of it that you must have is cultural literacy. So if you went to Curatable on Instagram right now, you'll see me posting images of people in the community. Okay. I have what I refer to as curators. I've had those for years. Those are kind of ambassadors. It's the same principle, showing, not telling. Because some mm. people don't even know people in wheelchairs want to come out their house. They don't know they're dating. They don't know that people that have cognitive disabilities or neurodiversity work jobs. Like, it's something that we don't think about. We're like, of course. But there are people that don't even connect those dots. Right. And so that's what we do. Product development. And it's all based around styling. That styling to uh, styling software to help AI you know, companies that are styling, you know, Stitch Fix and those kinds of companies and right. and brands are using behind the scenes, companies behind the scenes to help with helping people style 
but they hadn't considered disability. So that's a problem that we're going to fix. I'm sure we're not going to be the first. I'm not interested in that, but we're definitely going to be one of the baddest to do it because mm. the one thing I do every single day is dress people with disabilities and help them dress their body type. That's the gift that keeps on giving for me. And so that's the thing that we do. So the styling, the product and understanding the community, cultural literacy. Right. Now you had a, a quote that you sort of coined this phrase back in 2006, and I see this popping up everywhere. And this ties back to what you were sharing at the beginning of the story that you sort of asked this question. And maybe this was sort of what you were talking about with your mom is why are there more in-store clothing options for pets than there are for people with disabilities? Yeah, um, for sure. And, and what what a powerful question to ask. And it really feels like that was the catalyst for you that has led to the work that you've done for the last 16 years. And you brought up something interesting in there where you talked about like people culturally don't think of individuals with disabilities thinking about fashion or wanting to date or all these sorts of things. And I'm curious as a, as an individual like yourself who identifies as one living with a disability and having so many colleagues and friends within the community and just doing the work you've done, what is your perspective and why do you think that exists culturally that that is the mindset when it comes to the, the disability community? I think that's the nut everyone's still trying to crack, right? So my story spans over 30 years, three decades. Decade one, I spent trying to convince other people with disabilities that they wanted special designs for me. They were like, no. I was like, that no is a yes. They were like, no. So that was the learning years. The second decade was the disability fashion styling system. I was like, that was after the fashion industry uh, rejected my plea for love. It's unrequited love is what I have with the fashion industry. And when they were not really feeling what I was talking about, I needed to come up with something to bridge the gap between where the fashion industry is and where it must inevitably go to be more inclusive. And mm. then after that, this decade that we're in now, I've been here for 10 years, by the way, in LA. The one thing I can say, and I don't know that this is a complete observation. It's just that I used to say inaccurately, by the way, I used to say that we've never been taught about disability, but it's not true. We have been. We've been taught through telethons. We've been taught through these whack ass images on, you know, films and, you know, all of these things that describe us in ways that are inhumane or inhuman or otherworldly. You know, this is these are the definitions of disability that people ingest unconsciously, you know? Right. And so when I want to go and sit in a chair on the beach and just have my feet out and read a book, I can't because then I'm spending all day explaining to people what's wrong with my feet. I just almost want to put a sign on the, on one of my toes and just let the little sign dangle and explain it so I can read my book. But right. I think that's part of the issue. Part of the issue is that people don't understand disability because mm. disability was never something that was meant to be understood. It was something mm. to be hidden, you know, and in many cultures right now, it's still taboo. People want to know, what did your parents do for you to be born this way? In my right. case, for other people, oh, God is punishing you. Aristotle himself said that people that have disabilities should be drowned in the ocean or in the sea or in the river, in his case, in the river or tied to a tree and left to die. You know, so the idea of disability, especially as a woman, that's that's a whole different dynamic. As a woman with a disability, I find that even with dating, I was talking to someone about this, uh, that it's always like the great reveal. 
Okay. It's like, oh, you're so very beautiful. And I'm like, thank you. And then I get this, I would get this. And I still feel like I get this. I went on a date recently, believe it or not. I know it's a rare thing. <laughs> I feel like I'm invisible in LA, but. Not invisible to me. Oh, thank you. This, But I'm this taken, dude, I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> 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 this guy was like, oh my gosh, you're so beautiful. He helped me to my car. We put the things in the car. And then, you know, I felt, I, I automatically start to feel nervous because then you're like, I have to then reveal that I was just born the way I was born and I had nothing to do with it. And yeah. I think from my perspective, that sucks, you know, but don't feel sorry for me. If it pisses me off, I'm going to make a change. So that's why I'm so loud about this because I don't want anyone else to feel, you know, shame back in the day when there was a stronger sense of customer service and people would actually bring you the shoes and help you put them on. Unlike today, they'll bring you the shoes and they'll be like, let me know if you need anything, you know, as opposed right. to depending upon <laughs> what stores you shop in. Right. Um, but I used to feel so like I would almost start sweating, you know, mm. because it would be like, OK, they're going to they're going to look at my feet where had we had more of if we if I grew up during a time of social media where people were talking about their disabilities, that would not have been an issue. So do you feel like we all this work that you and so many others have been doing, do you feel like we're in this sort of like chapter of change almost where because of social media, because of thankfully not enough, but there is more inclusive content on television and film. There's more authentic representation. So that though there's still a lot of work to do in, in that world, do you feel like we are in this chapter where things are actually starting to change and there's actually learning happening, proper learning, not teaching yeah. people an, an incorrect or unhealthy narrative? Yeah, I would say yes and no. Uh, okay. I lean heavily towards the yes, because things have changed. And I want to shout out to all the middle managers that are fighting with their C-suite executives, uh, trying to build a business model around this and say, hey, this is something that we should invest in. Because there are a lot of really good people in the fashion industry that are really fighting hard. But they're, they're the people that sign the checks and make the financial decisions are not buying into it. You know what mm. I mean? So right. yes, there are a lot of amazing things that happen I think technologically, one of the biggest impacts is the impact of social media. But here's right. the problem with social media now, because, you know, people are, you know, especially Instagram and Facebook, which like Facebook or not globally, they are one of the leaders, you know, with this, with regards to numbers of people and eyeballs on the platform and they push down content related to disability. Really? You know, I was reading an article and it's not a secret for us because we know it. Like, I'll be stalled. I haven't been posting lately, so that's my fault. But if I were posting, I find that I'll get stalled at, you know, like maybe only a couple of thousand here and there. Whereas people that don't mention disability or show wheelchairs or things like that, AI has registered to push that content down because mm. they say it's in the effort to stop bullying. Well, what the hell? What are you saying about us? That the only way that we can get our content on is that we're going to be bullied by people right. like like people won't like it. And so that's because they don't have people with disabilities working in those spaces to question mm. them and say, you know, this needs to change, which is the positive that I'll go back to. I think people are now starting to see, oh, we need someone in the room. I'm really honored to have recently been added to the Valuable 500 they have their first global directory of companies 
that act as consultants. And if you've never heard of the Valuable 500, they were announced at Davos a few years ago, and they consist of 500 Fortune 500 companies from around the globe who have said publicly, we are committed to changing hiring practices and all other elements of including people with disabilities. Hmm. And that is a first of its kind. And Curatable is one of the 77 companies that is part of that directory. So I, I can definitely see change. That's incredible. So you've been doing the work as you shared for over 30 years. Has there been like a moment that sticks out in your mind as one of the most memorable or, or impactful moments for you? Something that you hold on to that you were a part of that you really feel like made a made a significant difference and contributed to change. I'm really bad at remembering the things that I've done, (laughs) (laughs) Um, which probably would aid me in feeling like I've been a part of change for people that work in this. I I have to answer this just as honestly as I can. I'm usually just working Hmm. and then it'll happen and then I'll forget. So I don't really know how to answer that question, to be honest. I am excited whenever I can get people with disabilities on the carpet. Those moments are important. Whenever I see a client crying and starting to see themselves the way they've always seen themselves in their head, that makes an impact on me. Hmm. I think when I did the year-long campaign as a PJDJ, which is when after I saw that there were no, you know, seeing these clothes for dogs... Um, I packed away my clothes. That was in December of 2006. And so from February 1st, 2007 to February 1st, 2008, I packed away my clothes. Every day I would get on the air. Hey, what's up? This is Stephanie Thomas. This is day blah, 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 blah. That was impactful for me because it gave me a chance to see what it was like personally to go mm. into a store, have money to spend, but then limit myself to just that pajama section. And then I had all of the pajamas monogrammed, the PJ DJ. And that was the most impactful. It was after then that I went back to graduate school to get a second graduate degree in fashion journalism. Wow. And really start to respectfully learn what 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 fashion was, understand the fashion system, be respectful. Um, I, I would have to say that was a big turning point. And oh yeah, packing up everything I owned except 23 boxes and bringing Mr. Yitty the Kitty to California <laughs> in 2012, another big moment. Yeah. Was that, did you come to California specifically to be specifically. closer to the work you wanted to do in and around like fashion and the entertainment industry? Yeah. In 2010, I was talking to my stepdad, um, who's no longer with us, but I was talking to him and I was just like, I think I'm gonna move to California because you know what? I'm in Virginia. No one sees the work that I do, even though I was doing, work, you know, offline and helping people, I was like, I really want to dress people that have more visibility to have a greater impact and change. So then I sold everything I owned. And well, I shipped my car, everything but 23 boxes, 12 of which were books. And I started all over at 43. Wow. And is that the type of thing where you look back on and you go, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have it any other way? Yeah, I wouldn't be where I'm at now. You know, I think when you believe in something, it started with a post-it note. You know, every morning Mm -hmm. I would get up and I would say everything on those post-it notes. And I'm living my post-it notes. What did those post-it notes say? That I'm a stylist for people with disabilities in Hollywood. That I work with brands in order to help people with disabilities 
understand their body types better. Um, I am a sought out, you know, disability fashion stylist, you know, and, and a lot of people think that when I'm saying that I'm saying disability fashion stylist, but I'm really saying disability fashion stylist, because Mm. whenever I would talk about the work that I did, no one understood it. So I put disability in front of fashion stylist in order to help people better understand it. Wow. And so moving forward, do you have any new post-it notes? Like if you could write a post-it note for yourself mm-hmm. right now for, uh, for Stephanie Thomas, five years from now, 10 years from now, what are you writing on those post-it notes that you will be in the future? Oh, I will definitely be a parent slash grandparent because I'm hoping to marry someone with a child already and an older child. So then I can kind of go right into grandmother mode, uh, (laughs) which will be super cool. Right. I know it's not a dream everyone has, but when you kind of miss the window of having children, which breaks my heart sometimes, I'm going to be honest because, Mm. and it wasn't because I was such a workaholic. It's just that I had just been no good at dating. Like I, unless I like you, I'm just completely not interested because if it's not more interesting than my work, it was just hard to give up that time. And so I definitely will have a cavapoodle. You didn't specify. You said, I what didn't know you're next. going That's right where fault. you want to go. With it. <laughs> and then, um, also I want to have a, a trusted CEO to run curatable so okay. that I can do whatever I want to do. Um, I want to have a home in Florence that I can travel to and get away from here when I want to. And, um, by then, I also want to be done with a PhD in disability studies. Wow. That's a lot of post-it notes. Yeah. You think so? I mean, I don't know. I, I have a stack of post-it notes on my desk, and I'm always writing <laughs> things and, and sticking them everywhere. So maybe I'm the oh, wrong yeah. person to ask. But, but I yeah. love that. You know, it's like dream big, live bigger sort of mentality, you know, which is, which is what I subscribe to, you know, and I think until you have to be intentional about your life and what you want from your life and the vision that you have for your life, because otherwise, what are you, what are you working towards? You know, where are you going? If you don't have a vision, then you're always sort of chasing this invisible goal. And I think in a lot of ways, you'll never feel fulfilled because you never set for yourself a definition of a job well done or a completed task. And that can be as small as like, go bowling for the first time. You know, I think that's what's important to remind people of is that it doesn't always have to be. My mom always tells me this is that she says, you know, I, I don't just love you for your big dreams. I love you for your small dreams as well. Absolutely. Um, And I I think that's important um, to keep in mind, but I love this idea of like writing these things down on post-it notes and just being intentional about what you're doing with your life and your time and, and what you're putting your energy into. And clearly it's worked out well for you because you've done so much incredible work and I'm so grateful to know you and to, in my opinion, call you friend. Um, and I'm looking forward to you and I, uh, joining forces to do some, some impactful work together. Cause I think you are a force and, and anytime I could be on a team with you, I am, I'm all for it. Yeah. Same here. And I, um, thank you for your book. I think you're your children's book will actually really help children like me who are born. Um, people call it limb difference. I call it disability because for me, it impacts my body, you know, in addition to just not having, not having something, it, it impacts all of me. But I think having those books out and, um, I mean, I think it makes a huge difference. I've actually turned 
my story into uh, a children's a children's universe around a hmm. character named Summer. Okay. So I, I appreciate you doing what you're doing. I think the more stories like this we tell, the better it'll be. I agree. Well, I am all for you and I doing that together. So if I can ever help you out in any way, uh, let's do it. And Stephanie, I just want to say thank you so much for being generous with your time. If people want to find you on social media and connect with you directly, what, what's the best way to do that? They can connect with me directly on um, at Disability Fashion Stylist. Curatable is spelled C-U-R, the number eight, A-B-L-E. And Curatable, that's Curatable Social Media, Twitter, Instagram, and then, of course, Curatable.com. Amazing. Um, well, please, please, everyone, go check out Stephanie's work. It's incredible. Stephanie, thank you for being so generous with your time and your insights and for sharing stories that you never shared with anyone before. This, is, this has been thrilling for me. Awesome. Thank you for having me. It was fun. Always. Thank you so much, Stephanie, and we will see everybody next time. Well, I am just happy. <laughs> My heart is happy, and that is all due to Stephanie Thomas and her being so generous with her stories, with her insights, with her spirit. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Stephanie, for being a part of the show. And thank you to each of you who are listening to the show. I know I say it every single episode, but I say it because I mean it, and I think it's really important that we really say how we feel. I will just open up a little bit here and say... For a long time, I didn't say how I felt about a lot of things, and I'm making a concerted effort to change that about myself. So that's why I bring it up every episode, because I do sit here as I record these intros and outros, and I think, gosh, I'm so grateful for the people who listen to this show. This show isn't about numbers for me. It's about connection. It's about putting content out into the world that I think many of us wish was out there. Content that is real, content that educates us, content that doesn't feel like it's just checking a box that some studio executive thinks needs to be checked. That's why this show is here. And I'm grateful that you make the choice to be a part of it. It really, really makes my heart happy. So I am so full of gratitude and I love that we get to keep doing this thing. We've done seven episodes now and there's many, many more to come. And if you've made it this far, you might as well go ahead and tap that subscribe button. You know you want to. And if you wouldn't mind, please take a moment right now to rate the show. If you don't want to write a review, you don't have to. All you have to do is tap those five stars if you're listening on Spotify, Apple, wherever you're listening, you can rate the show. That ensures that more people discover what we are doing here with The Greatest Stories Never Told. Anyway, we have reached the end of this episode, episode number seven. There's many, many more to come, and I'm excited to be on this journey with all of you. Until next time, be well, and I'll look forward to speaking with you all real soon. Mm -hmm.